Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Hello, and I cannot wait to welcome Tyler Bates here to the podcast today. He's a flight surgeon and a podcaster with not one, but two podcasts, one called Underrated in Medicine and the other called Musculoskeletal Minute. Tyler, thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you for having me. So I don't know if you know this or not, but you are officially the first man I'm having on my podcast, so which is very, <laughs> I think, a cool spot to be in. Hey, great. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. So a reverse glass ceiling thing going on here. Yeah. <laughs> um, you have a really interesting story and uh, journey with imposter syndrome from what I know about you. So do you mind just kind of starting from the beginning? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I guess that takes back how far to the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, so I went to uh, medical school, uh, great medical school, really enjoyed my experience. And uh, from the beginning, I always had the plan of what I was going to do. I was going to go through med school, do physical medicine and rehabilitation, and then actually move home, pursue my dad's practice, and that was going to be great. But part of the way through med school, I got to thinking, hey, I want something more. And so I decided to join the military. One, have them pay for my med school, but two, provide an experience and adventure. And well, I've gotten adventure, not quite the adventure that I assumed mm. of uh, going to different countries and whatnot. Um, but actually, the military doesn't allow doesn't always allow people to do physical medicine and rehab. So I had to uh, change my mind, and that's how I'm a flight surgeon, basically a primary care provider for pilots and flight crew. But uh, there is no residency in aerospace medicine initially, and so most of us actually complete our intern year and set out practicing. Wow. So not only was I... So I started practicing after completing an intern year, which is scary enough. Mm -hmm. I had so many class, I had so many classmates terrified about it, and let's face it, I was a little terrified too to be practicing. Mm -hmm. But not only that, but my first year as an attending, after only an intern year, COVID nineteen hit, global mm -hmm. pandemic, and I was pulled out of my comfortable clinic job into the administrative suite of our medical group to develop policy, not only for our clinic and how we were going to do things, but for the entire Air Force Base. Oh and we goodness. were considered a high priority mission. The base that I am at is one of the pilot training bases. There's a massive shortage of Air Force pilots at this time. And they say, hey, we can't do anything that can impact the speed of which we're training pilots. We're already behind. And so youngest doctor in the entire group, least amount of training out of all of them, pulled from the one thing that I knew, the one thing that I had been spending the last nine years getting towards, all of a sudden having to lead and develop policy. One of the lower ranking individuals in this group, newest in the Air Force, and just developing things not only within the medical hierarchy, but a military rank hierarchy as well. Wow. So how, are, how is it going? Um, well... Uh, some days are better than other days, <laughs> but it's actually, 
uh, things are much better. Uh, during the lull of COVID, I convinced them to let me go back to clinic. And mm -hmm. now every time somebody from leadership sees me, they're like, do you want to come back uh, to admin? And I'm like, nope, mm -hmm. even though we're getting our big wave here currently. Oh. So what kind of thoughts came, were, were coming up for you during that, that time frame where you were kind of pulled into this new environment? Uh, all sorts of thoughts, but a lot of thoughts, uh, well, let's face it, we're not very good at good self uh, reassuring thoughts. Mm -hmm. uh, my initial thought was, oh no, what, what have I done clinically that would make them want to pull me out of the clinic into admin where I couldn't mm -hmm. see a patient? Mm -hmm. um, and it just kind of went from there. And like, what, I must have done something wrong if they're pulling me away from patients to, oh, now, why am I even here? I'm the youngest, youngest doc. I have the least experience. We have all of these lieutenant colonels and full bird colonels in these rooms with these meetings, and they're asking me things. And I'm a captain, and I'm barely a doctor even at that. And the really big thing that really hurt me a lot, I think, was thinking about the medical hierarchy. Mm -hmm. You know, in medicine, of course, to really consider yourself an attending, it's like, oh, I'm board certified. That means mm -hmm. I'm the level. Whereas I'm like, I'm internship trained. You know, some state gave me a, gave me a license and uh, the military is trusting me for this. And so within medicine, it's like, oh, the board certified. And then what about the subspecialist? and higher and higher and you go further. And so I kept thinking, what do I do here? I'm not mm -hmm. board certified. I don't have a, I haven't done residency. I haven't done fellowship. And so I think those were probably the most damaging thoughts that I had um, when it came to day-to-day -day work like, was, hey, what do I have a say? I'm not a real, I'm not a real doctor. Mm -hmm. So how did you, how were you able to overcome that to to in order to do the job and to create policies that they needed? Well, I think one of the most important through it was just being honest and finding people to talk to. Mm -hmm. uh, it's clearly a unique situation, didn't find a lot of other people, but I had met yeah. a few other flight surgeons and I reached out to them and told them my thoughts. And actually, there's a lot of flight surgeons that have been through similar situations. Mm -hmm. And it was really good to actually come out and be open, be transparent, and talk to other people that had been through it. Find out, hey, well, this is a unique situation with COVID. I'm not alone in feeling like I'm outside of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. uh, so doing that, listening to podcasts, I started reading a lot of books, actually, books on leadership, books on especially medical leadership. There's not very many out there. Yeah. Um, and then... After the main craze, I actually started getting back doing things that I enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And actually, both of these podcasts started from COVID just as a release so that I could do something that I enjoyed and something where I considered myself good at to where it actually kind of helped me feel the confidence back with the policy that I was doing and being in the meetings with people. Those are such such great insights. I think the first thing you mentioned is is... Be having that vulnerability and talking to people, which I think as physicians, we tend to maybe shy away from. And the other thing is recognizing that when you feel like you're out of control and out of your element to find something and on purpose that you feel that control again, really, really good um, advice, I think, for people feeling um, similar to how you felt recently. Um, 
how how was that received when you did reach out to other people for help? Um, the uh, fellow flight surgeons that I reached out to um, remotely, uh, mm-hmm. they were all extremely supportive. Uh, they all had experiences. One of them actually was in Europe during the time of Ebola and wow. actually was in a similar situation. And it was it was actually really nice to have somebody else that had done something involving a pandemic where there was just so much mystery involved, but having to make things up as they went, but appear to be the expert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this is obviously a very extreme situation that you've been put, you were put in. And I think anyone in the entire world would feel like an imposter in that situation. Were there other times in your life prior to this that you had thoughts of, um, like not belonging or feeling like an imposter before this happened? Oh, 100%. Probably every time a test result came back, to be <laughs> honest. I, um, no, I'd say med school was probably kind of the biggest where I found that, um, where all of a sudden I went from undergrad of being one of those annoying people that ruined the curve to med school where I looked forward to the curve. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of those things. What am I doing here? Where do I have a position? You know, what's, I was, I was good in undergrad. Why am I having to work now? And it's like, did they make a mistake? What am I doing? Why am I, I here? And uh, I found myself getting a little burnt out the first uh, end of the first semester of med school and really asking myself, what's that? What do I have to offer? Mm -hmm. And why am I having to work so hard? And I think that's probably when I first started kind of coming along this journey of realizing some transparency. And when you actually start talking to classmates and being honest, hey, turns out everybody's actually feeling that way. Exactly. And I think so few of us are brave enough to do that. I certainly wasn't in medical school. And really, <laughs> and really, I wasn't in residency either. I, you know, I would, I really just kind of kept everything to myself. And I think that in, in medical school, if we encouraged that kind of open communication, medical students would feel a lot more comfortable with how, with their discomfort. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that we're kind of missing in medicine is just this ability to feel transparent. And I've mentioned it multiple times before of, Hey, I wonder if everybody was just actually honest, Mm -hmm. uh, what type of mental health we would be at within medicine and culture. It's, Yeah, I agree. And I think that it's tough because we're kind of conditioned as physicians to be the superhuman and not make errors. And, and I think that it's a fine line because obviously, you know, I've said, I've said it before, but mistakes can mean life or death, but it, there needs to be some sort of recognition that we're human beings too. And we have, we're going to have bad days and good days and low moments and we have a life outside of our jobs. And I think pretending that those things aren't true is why we're in this crisis of physician mental health and wellness today. Absolutely. And actually you bring up a point of, you know, mistakes, you know, life and death and how we're not willing to talk about it. Uh, It's interesting really being involved with the aviation community. I don't know what type of safety training your hospitals have had, but uh, I remember going through safety training as an intern and they're like, aviation used to be extremely dangerous. 
a quarter around Vietnam era, a quarter of pilots died due to accidents, not even being shot down. And then they're like, but now aviation's extremely safe. We need to do what aviation does. And then they just kind of move on. Well, I'm at a pilot training base. I get to see what they're doing. I go fly with the pilots. I debrief with them. And a lot of what they do is, I mean, it's kind of vicious, but it's, uh, it's essentially pimping, but in the airplane and mm -hmm. they're asking them questions right and left, but they are wanting them to be able to acknowledge their mistake, admit their mistake, identify it, and then learn from it. Because for pilots, when they're making mistakes and they're not admitting it, they're not learning from it and they're going to continue putting themselves in a dangerous situation. And I think that's something that medicine, it's not the things that they teach us when we're talking about safety, but it's one of those things. What about taking a minute and being kind of more real and honest with ourselves when we do make a mistake and utilizing it as a point to learn from as opposed to a point to punish ourselves from. Yeah, and I think that certainly is, we're not getting through that whole um, mechanism in, in medical training. We obviously do the pimping and, the, and, and that kind of thing, but it's the admission of an error and the learning from it that I think we're missing that is really powerful, which is it goes along with that whole growth mindset thing. I don't know if you are familiar with Carol Dweck and her um, fixed and growth mindset, but so many of us in medicine have that fixed mindset where we think that these are the skills we have and we can't improve and mistakes are are, you know, devalue us and challenges are not to be, um, you know, accepted and they should be avoided. But that's really, I think that's doing a disservice to physicians. Yep, absolutely. And so it's been really fascinating being, seeing another extremely highly performing career and seeing students going through it and being able to draw similarities and then see what we could learn from it and also what they could learn from it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's really, you know, I'll just, I'll say that even just talking to you, it's so obvious that you have so much to offer outside of the environment that you're in to other physicians. So I'm just going to, I say that to, to make a point that it's really easy for people to see the value that you can bring to a community that you're not able to see in yourself. And I think that's why finding the people who are like-minded and outside of what you're doing in the immediate, you know, in your immediate area is really powerful because then it helps you to see what your unique skills are and the things that you can bring to other place, other people to make a huge impact. Yeah. Well, thanks. And that is a very good reminder. So what can, looking back, I know that you're certainly not out of the woods yet with the situation you're in, but looking back so far, what kind of things have you learned about like about the imposter syndrome thoughts and and that kind of thing that you can like you can take with you to move forward. I think what I'd say the most important thing that I've learned from it is just early recognition of it. Early recognition and then early intervention as well. Mm -hmm. uh, if this were to go on and on and on, well, who knows what type of mental health status would end up in and how much I'd be able to pick myself up. And so the things that I want and especially want to think about when I go back to residency, continue training is, you know, recognizing that this is going to continue to be a problem. Uh, it's going to be fun. I'm going to be an early career attending twice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, <laughs> once as a flight surgeon <laughs> and then a second time after uh, completing residency, 
I don't know, hopefully the second time's easier. Um, but just kind of this early recognition and early work to find intervention and find good people that I can always surround myself with. It's kind of hard during uh, COVID, of course, we're uh, mm -hmm. keeping physical distancing, but it's also opened up so many opportunities for people to uh, be closer through social media and whatnot. There's been all sorts of other lectures and podcasts come out of this that has actually been great to find uh, similar like-minded communities. Absolutely. What are your mechanisms, like coping mechanisms that you plan to um, use, or do you have any other things that you're that you're learning about or reading that you're interested in trying as you move forward? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Probably a few too many things, actually. <laughs> um, but one of my big ones that I'm so glad I'm able to do it again, um, the military has a little bit more ability to make rules. So initially through COVID, we couldn't actually leave the town that the base was in. Mm -hmm. um, but they've opened it up to two and a half hours now, which means uh, mountain biking trails are in range. Okay. And Ever since that's been opened, I've been out there at least every other weekend, except for the weeks that I'm on call um, and can't leave. And so it's a hobby that I absolutely love that I find is refreshing to me. And so I've just placed a good priority on getting out there and doing that, um, continuing to read books, continuing to learn and find things outside of medicine uh, while everything all the lessons we learn can be applied to our life and life in medicine. I think it's really important to have interests and other things outside of medicine and things that we can focus on and enjoy. And for me, it's mountain biking and scuba diving. If ever I get to be able to go back to an ocean, but you know, these couple things that it's just so much better and refreshing to get out and do something and have a minute because actually I really noticed this uh, within uh well, being in the administrative side for the early days of COVID, I noticed a lot of our leaders burning themselves out, and I'll totally include myself in that. Uh, COVID is a brand new thing, a brand new risk. We had to make policy for it, and after it was about three weeks of working every day, including the weekends um, or so, before some of the leaders started realizing, hey, we need to back things down. Mm -hmm. And as the doctor in the group, I was saying, hey, guys, we can't keep working like this. We got to take a little bit of time and no, I can't stop working. Um, and within the military, it's good, but also bad with people having deployment experiences. And well, this is like a deployment. Mm. Yes, it is like a deployment, but also at the same time, you still have your family to go home to and which is completely different. And so kind of taking that minute and it was a completely different day walking back into work after pretty much everybody had gone home and managed to stay out for at least one of the days of the weekend mm -hmm. and give themselves a little bit of self-care time that they needed of just relaxing, not thinking about this, not trying to develop policy and not worrying about COVID for mm -hmm. a few hours to refresh. Yeah. So why do you think there was that resistance there? Was it, was it guilt over the job, the duties of the job or was it, like, what do you think it was? So I think it was a couple things. Um, as I said, or as you said, duty of the job, absolutely. And with this opinion, well, hey, I've deployed and I've had to work 120 hours a week while deployed. Like mm -hmm. the mission needs to be done. Um, and then 
I absolutely give them this, uh, respect them as leaders and the fact that they didn't want to be making their people work more than them. And so their solution to that was make sure that they were working more than their people and definitely can respect that. But also at the same time, like, well, you do need to take a minute for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people made this mistake with COVID while it's still ongoing, definitely much more to come. I think at least initially we treated it like a sprint. Hey, if we just do these couple things, it'll be gone. We'll be able to get back to our life in a, in a couple weeks. And so I think it was, well, we can sprint and push hard for a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. And now we're at almost six months of this. So mm -hmm. that's great insight. And I think it's, you know, obviously can be extrapolated into physician life in general. I think that we go into medical school and residency and I did, I never looked past one day beyond being an attending. I was just looking for that. You know, <laughs> I'm an attending now and that's it. And you don't ever realize, at least I never thought to consider the 40 years after that, that I was hopefully going to be practicing medicine. And it's, it, we don't consider, many of us don't consider, how do I make a sustainable career in medicine for 40 years and not just come out the gate, like trying to get all the, you know, get, climb the ladder and get all the publications. And um, that's an important thing I, that, that, I, that I wanted to point out that you said that for, as physicians, we need to work on as well. Oh, absolutely. And I've been thinking about this. Uh, I don't know if you're on med Twitter, but the current thing on med Twitter was a recent uh, publication about how many people matched uh, or didn't match in their specialty and how many publications they had. Mm. And the average is like seven and a half across specialties or, wow. and neurosurgery was almost 20 or something like that. Oh and it's, and so everybody, Oh, I want, I want to be a doctor. And, you start working in maybe high school if you have this discovery and undergrad and you're trying to get all of these articles. And um, I was asked to give an introduction for the new med students as a second year. And the first question asked with our, with our upper student panel was, when can we start working on research? It's like, mm -hmm. wait until you've taken like two tests first. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. and, Everything is so much, we got to get to the next point. You got to get into med school. You've got to match into the residency of your dreams. If you want to do fellowship, you got to do that. But we don't think anything about that attending hood as you're talking about. Right. I don't know about you, but I got here and I was like, okay, what do I do now? Mm -hmm. I'm, at least I still had the goal of residency, but I think this is going to be the biggest thing for me going back to residency is yeah. I'm going to have goals for five years after being an attending and 10 year and just have something to look forward to because there's an absolute time of loss on, Hey, I have done everything on the checkbox. I have climbed this ladder. What do I do now? Yep. Oh yeah. Now then now what happened like four seconds after I graduated residency, and it was like so annoying. I, I was like, come on, I just worked for like how many years to get here. And my, the next, I, my brain's already saying like, now what? And is you're going to be in a really good position because you know that that's going to happen to you and you're going to be ready for it. You're going to be like, okay, I know my next step now where a lot of residents graduate and they don't know that that's coming. But if we can t remind them or if they have someone to tell them, like, you need to think five or 10 years after you graduate because that's where your mind's going to go immediately, then you won't have, we won't have so many physicians flailing around wondering what the heck to do with their lives besides just be a doctor. Yeah. 
And there's so much, there's so much this world has to offer. Yeah. And you can be more than a doctor, which is another message. I don't think we share enough with people. Um, so it's, you know, I think as many of us can be out there doing things besides being a doctor is really powerful. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tyler. It was really great talking to you. Any last minute um, advice or wisdom to leave with everyone today? Hmm. Let me see. I wrote down a couple ideas. Let's see. Awesome. So just kind of, just the ideas that I had, we covered most of these. And the last thing we talked about was one of the big things that I actually wrote down. Like we spent our entire time chasing what the admission, we spent the time chasing what the admissions committee wants. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we forget ourselves. So if we remember to do something where we can find ourselves and remember to do the things that we enjoy. Um, For me, it was biking and skiing. Uh, For other people, there's all sorts of other things out there that you do to enjoy. Do those things to remember yourself. And then when it comes to fighting burnout or fighting imposter syndrome, just being transparent and finding somebody to open up to. I, we value when our patients are honest with us and open up to us and we don't have to go digging through and trying to find out this or that recorded in their history. When they come in and they're honest, we greatly appreciate patients being honest with us. So why is it that we can't be honest with ourselves and be honest with others? So I think those two things of just remembering who you are and then being honest with yourself and others, I think, while it's not going to secure, it's not going to solve imposter syndrome. It's really going to help. Absolutely. Great. I think that's a perfect place to end. Thank you so much. You have a great um, rest of the night and good luck to you. Thank you. You too. One more thing before you go. I wanted to tell you about the amazing course I just put together and is available now and live at the lowest price I'll ever offer it. And it is all about how to coach yourself. So if you have been considering getting a coach, haven't been able to commit, worried about the financial investment, or just not quite sure if it's the right thing for you yet, then self-coaching is a really, really good place to start. It's exactly where I started my journey to becoming the confident and fulfilled physician that I am today and living with intention and living with purpose. For the past two years, I've been working on material that I could offer other women to help them to get to where I am because there's nothing special about me. Anyone can feel this way with the proper tools and that's what self-coaching provides. So it is an in-depth and complete look into self-coaching, including what it is, why it's so important, all the tools that you need to know about self-coaching, and even a special module designed just to help you to solve your biggest everyday problems, including imposter syndrome, which so many of us struggle with. It also includes access to the private Facebook group where you can ask questions or seek support. And the part I'm most excited about is the opportunity to hop on group coaching calls every month where we can talk about specific problems that you're having. It's a safe environment where I can give you some personalized help and support as you go along this course and well beyond. Check out the link in the show notes page for this one-of-a-kind self-coaching course. It's designed mostly geared towards physician women or professional women who are struggling in their day-to-day life with a 
feeling of lack of confidence, feeling like an imposter, feeling like you're going through life reacting to everybody else's problems and no real direction for where your own life is going. I can help you get there and self-coaching is the way to do it.